I'm going to leave my hands free because I like to talk with my hands. And when you've got one of them tied up with a microphone, it kind of gives you a speech impediment. So um, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. It's where we'll settle in as we continue our series on knowing our why. And uh, I appreciate the way that you have all jumped in and really explored. Uh, I've had quite a few people say, hey, you know what, I'm, maybe for the first time I'm figuring out not only why I do what I do, but really I'm learning the reason why I should be able to live differently. And uh, so uh, to, uh, that's a, just an amazing thing that God settles in with us. And for those of you that were here this past Sunday night, I, I, I'm going to trust that you were incredibly blessed. We were here till about 11 o'clock praying over people, praying with people. And the stories coming out of last Sunday evening are just absolutely God-inspiring. And if you don't know any of those stories, you might want to stick around a little bit more or come next time and uh, participate in that because it was absolutely uh, amazing to watch God move and work and bring freedom to people's lives. And so, um, you know, I had some people say, man, I, I didn't come because, man, I'm, I'm kind of weirded out by all that. And I'm like, weirded out by all what? And that, you know, when people start doing this, I said, well, we like to think of it as God leading, God moving, God doing. So if you get weirded out by God, you're going to spend your life being weirded out by God because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed, not going to change. He's going to keep doing what he's always done. And, and his intent is for us to live free. And if you're not living free, maybe that you ought to find yourself joining us next time that we do that. So we would love to have you. Um, we have been letting Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who wrote these letters, and um, we have been letting him kind of lay out for us our struggle, but he is also giving us the answers, giving us the clues and the keys to living effectively and differently. And so uh, we want to keep you know, moving in that direction. Next week, next week, next week, we'll try to wrap this up. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of jumping off the cliff a little bit. Next week, we're just going to just take a free fall, and we're just going to just let ourselves go and see what God has for us. Um, Paul took the time to write letters to all these churches that had been popping up of people that are uh, realizing that Jesus is who he said he is, did what he said he did. And he wrote these letters to believers of Jesus, and he is helping to describe what it looks like to live like Jesus. He makes it practical for us to kind of get a mental image of how to live effectively, which I think we need. And for all the mental images that we we now live with and all the images we have, we, if you're like me, you keep finding yourself coming up a little short. You keep finding yourself, man, why am I still doing that? And we find ourselves and we, we have this thought that, man, I'm just, I just keep disappointing God every day of my life on a regular basis. And we have been taught this kind of formula in church world that, well, you pray a prayer and you get initiated into, into the church, into God, and one day you're going to get to go to heaven. But until then, at the end of the day, before you fall asleep, you need to pray this prayer so God will get out his magic eraser and erase all the bad stuff you did. And then you wake up the next day thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to fill my chalkboard up with all this bad stuff. And, but tomorrow night, I'll, I'll pray and God will... And it's kind of this constant, I'm a failure, God wiped it away. I'm a failure, God wiped it away. And that mentality, I don't know about you, but I don't like the thought, and it's hard to settle with, every day I disappoint God, or I disappoint my spouse, or I disappoint somebody, or I disappoint myself. 
And that's kind of been the church system for centuries and centuries and centuries. And by the way, it's not a very effective church system because it leaves people feeling not only defeated, but helpless and hopeless. And without hope, man, it's hard to keep going in life when you don't have hope. And so Paul is going to kind of lay out the problem for us yet again. And we kind of find ourselves living um, kind of like the movie Groundhog Day. We, we kind of find ourselves living the same day over and over and over again. And you think, okay, when's this merry-go-round going to stop? I want to get off. What do I do? How do I do it? And Paul has an answer for us. Um, and he is going to keep moving us deeper into who Christ is, what Christ has done, as opposed to our connection with Adam. Um, and so I want to look at, once again, the problem as Paul describes it. And whether you are a believer or not a believer, whether you're in or you're just like, ah, I just don't know if I believe any of this stuff, the one thing that we all have in common is that we all struggle with sin. And maybe some of you don't like the word sin. Maybe you like the word temptation. It doesn't matter what word you use. We all struggle. We all do find ourselves doing things. We're like, God, why do I do that? Why do I do that? And then you look at your kids and go, why do you do that? And they're looking at you going, why do you do that? So this is what he says in Romans 7. We'll, we'll kind of lay, lay the groundwork again, what we've been doing. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Does anybody resonate with that, that sentence? Does anybody live in that neighborhood? Now, if you don't live in that neighborhood, would you just put your hand up so I know not to hang out with you because I will mess your life up. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, here's an assumption that, that we normally think. We think, well, I'm a pretty good person that occasionally does some not pretty good things. Paul is ultimately saying, left of our own, by our own device, by our own wisdom, by our own strength, there are no good people. Now, that's kind of a harsh reality, and people are like, you can't say that about me. You don't know me. No, but you're just like me. We struggle. And ultimately, left on our own by ourselves, because what Adam did, bringing sin into the world, sin was downloaded into us, ultimately, by ourselves, we're not good people. Now, I know that you're thinking, ah, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'm not better than that person. Well, you might be better than that person, but you're still not good. Now, I know that just offended somebody. And we'll give you a participation award at the end for sitting through this. But the reality is, is that's just the truth. He says in Romans 7, 19, for I do not do the good I want to do. If nothing else, Paul's at least honest. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. See, he's just like us. Now, I don't think he had a mirror but if he had a mirror, he would be looking at himself in the morning, the evening, the afternoon, and all different during times of the day going, Paul, why do you keep doing that stuff? What's wrong with you? Can't you get this thing right? And his answer would be by himself, for himself, in the power of himself. No, no. So he says in Romans 7.20, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is what? Sin living in me that does it. Now, that's, 
the, the system of Adam. Now, here's a question. Why can't we do what we need to do, what we should do? Why? Isn't that, that's our, that's our question. The problem for us is, is there really was an Adam. We were in Adam when Adam sinned, when Adam introduced sin into the world, when he rebelled against God, he handed us an inheritance that none of us wanted, none of us asked for, but we got it anyway. And I know it's not fair, but just because it's not fair doesn't mean it's not true, because it is true. And he talks about sin as a noun, and he talks about sin being within us. It's not just the point of being tempted, it's that we wrestle with sin, and the struggle is very, very real. And so he says when we come to Christ, we're taken out of Adam, and we're put into Christ. What was true of Adam when we before Christ was true of us. But now what is true of Christ is now true of us. It's the reason that we can live free from sin. Because Jesus died, he died to the power of sin, he overcame the power of sin and death, and in Christ, we were all included in all the promises that are true of Christ. And last week, we talked about this, this last little thing that, that Paul said in the Romans 6 passage we looked at, and we're going to pick up there, is that sin is not our master. Now, when we were in Adam, sin was our master. Sin had the reigning, ruling, controlling arm on us, but because we gave our lives to Christ, because we, we opened our heart to the love of God in Jesus Christ, he took us out of Adam, and he put us into Christ. Now, we have all lived as a slave to sin, but that's Adam. Paul is going to give us and remind us that if we're in Christ, sin is no longer our master. So let's pick up in this Romans 6, 9 passage, and let's see where God takes us today. Romans 6, 9, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus was, went through all the temptations. Jesus went through the struggle. Jesus knows what it's like for us. And yet, when Jesus died, when he was put on the cross, when he was put in the tomb, he conquered sin and death. Now, from the very beginning, God said that when you sin, you will surely die. So death always follows sin of some sort. There's going to be some kind of death when we sin. We're going to lose something. Doesn't matter what the sin is, death swings right behind it. it. It follows. And yet Jesus conquered sin and death. Romans 6.10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. When Christ died to the power of sin, when he came back to life, he broke the hold of sin. What had been our master what had put us in chains, what had held us down, what had held us captive, what had taken life from us, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus broke. Romans 6.11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that word count 
is an accounting term. It's a math term. It means to consider. It means to accept. It means to believe. It means to factor into your understanding. And what he's saying is that we have to believe that what Christ did, he did for all of us. And he applied all the truth, all the power, all the blessings to us because of what he did. And so when a temptation comes, a situation that wants you to do what you used to do, the way you previously had lived, you're going to look at that sin, you're going to look at that temptation and go, you are not my master. I was set free when Christ broke the hold of sin. Look at what he says in Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, just kind of let's just take this at face value. When we allow sin to reign in our life, when we allow, that's a big word, allow sin to reign, it's because revolutionary here, we allow it. I know that's astonishing to you. Sin cannot, does not have the power to force us the way it did when we were in Adam. And yet we keep going, oh, I've always done that. I'm just going to keep doing it. It's just why, why fight it? I'm just, I'm just hopeless. I'm just reckless, I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. You see, sin does not have power over us. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, you don't know me in my life. You don't know what happens with me every day. No, no, we allow it to have power over us. When we struggle with sin, when you struggle with sin, which side of the argument do you most relate to? Which side do you identify with? Which side of the argument is you. Do you argue from the standpoint of Adam? This is what that kind of sounds like. Listen, nobody's perfect. We're all just human. I mean, my grandmother did that. My grandfather did that. My uncle did that. My daddy did that. I've done that. My kids are going to do it. It's just the way it is. I'll never change. I'll never be different. I'll this, I this, I this. What you're saying is, is that what Christ did on the cross had no power for you to be placed in you so that you would have the strength and the power to be over what has destroyed you. You're saying, now that applies to other people. You just don't know my family tree. You don't know what my family's been. You just don't, you just don't know. I mean, I'm, an, I'm 18 years old. I'm, I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm 19 years old. I'm a college student. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And we argue from the side of, I need to build a reason why it's okay for me to keep killing myself and destroying myself with sin. That's what we're saying. <sighs> All men are alike. And when we do that, we're arguing from the standpoint of who we used to be, not who God says we are. Now, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Because we keep finding ourselves in the same place, doing the same things that are absolutely wrecking our mind, and we keep going... And Paul's saying, because you allow it. Because you keep bowing down to a master that's not your master. 
You keep going back to a way of life that was before you were in Christ, but now that you're in Christ, God says you're somebody different. He says you have power and authority over that. It's the reason when we pray, we pray like a beggar on the street. Do you have any coins? Do you have any coins rather than in the name of Jesus? I take authority over this. And we don't we don't pray with boldness. We pray with, oh my gosh, you think God would notice me if I shot up a flare? And that's the way people live and, and pray and think. You know, what's what's that do for us? Nothing. It leads us powerless. In Christ, in Christ, you go, you know what? That temptation or that sin is trying to rule me. It's trying to conquer me. I've had enough sin. I've had enough death in my life. Why, having been freed from sin, would I keep living like I'm still in chains? Because when we're struggled and when we're tempted in the battle, we choose which side we will identify with. I'll either identify with the side of Adam or the side of Jesus. It has everything to do with how the outcome will be. When we give ourselves an alibi and an excuse, we're going to keep living along the line of Adam. Or we're going to live from who we have been made in Christ. You notice in Romans 6, 12, do not let. That means do not let. Do not give authority to something that has no authority. We have a choice. Now, some of you are going, Pastor, you are insane. Do you know how strong the temptation is? Yeah, I do. But there is no sin or temptation that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of sin was broken when Jesus rose from the dead. We have power and potential to say no and not let or allow sin to rule our life anymore. And you're saying, how is that even possible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Romans 6.13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. You see, he's personifying sin. He's making it a noun. It's not making it just a little actions, a little verbs. He's... He's given it a persona so we can understand what we're up against. Don't offer any any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as those who have been. You understand present tense, right? Present tense indicative, which continues on and on and on and on and on. We have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I mean, you're saying, you're saying that when sin lays a possibility before me, and I am so drawn, what what it's saying is, is hey, hey, Craig, let me let me borrow your legs for a minute. I I, I want to walk over here to where you really shouldn't go, but I, I want to take you over there. Uh, Craig, let me borrow your eyes because I, I just want you to focus on that person. And I just want you to look at them and think of all the possibilities of what it could be. You think, wow. Hey, hey Craig, let, let, me borrow your, let me borrow your lips and your tongue for just a little bit because you're really mad at that person. 
And if they walk in and walk up at just the right time, you know you've been wanting to say something to them, and you just unleash all the fire of hell that's in your tongue, and you just let them have it. And you're going to feel so much better. You're going to destroy them, but you're going to feel so much better. Hey, Craig, let me borrow your heart. Let me borrow your mind. Let me, and that's what sin wants to do. Sin just, hey, just let me borrow it for just a little bit. You've got enough anger and frustration and anxiety built up in you. Just let let me, let me, let me. And we go, you know, I might as well. I'm going to give in anyway. So go ahead and take it. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do. We just allowed sin to become our master. After Jesus broke the chain of sin being our master. We get into a routine of giving our hearts and minds and the parts of our body away. And then after the destruction, we start trying to gather them all back in and say, hey, God, could you bring out that magic eraser and, and make all this right again? And, and, and the grace of God is, is gracious, but God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the system that I died for you to live under. This is not the reason that my son went to the cross. This is not the reason he went to the tomb. This is not, this is not, this is not. There's a better, better way. Do not allow, do not loan, do not let sin use our body parts for its own evil desires because what's going to happen is is it always brings death. In verse 13, he uses that little, little phrase, but rather. Remind yourself you're in Christ. And because of that, we have the power and the privilege to live and surrender our body to God himself. I don't know about you. I don't know what your mornings are. I know there are a lot of people that aren't morning people. You have to get up and you just, you're not even sure how you got to work sometimes because you're so tired and you're driving. And I see you, you you, you know, as I zoom past you because you're, you're in your slumber. But I have to start the day with something sort of like this. God, there's going to be a lot of struggle today. There's going to be a lot of mess. I I just need to give you my hands today so I don't put them to bad use. I I need to give you my eyes. I need to give you my tongue. I need to give you my mind. I need to give you my heart, God, because, and you think, well, does it work? It really does. Now, does the temptation still come? Absolutely it does, but I've already preset in my mind my answer. You put, no, I, listen, there's no perfect individuals. We're going to talk about the key to all this, but we've got to get in a routine of getting our hearts and our minds ready to take on the day rather than resigning ourselves that we're just going to fail and I'll take care of it tonight before I fall asleep in bed. Because the more we allow sin to have power over us, the further away we get from our relationship with Jesus. And the closer we get to what wants to destroy us. So we give our hands, we give our eyes, we give our feet, we give our mind, we give our mouth, we give to God. We but rather offer yourselves to God. And we make some declarations of who we are in Christ, and we make some decisions of how we're going to live and how we're going to do battle. And we remind ourselves that my my heart is devoted to God. I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm not in sin. I've been taken out of Adam, and I've been put in Christ. 
you know, and it's, you know, I, I grew up going to church and you, you gain some knowledge of some things, but you don't comprehend them. But probably like a lot of you, when, if you grew up in church, I was a lousy Christian. I, I don't, do you, anybody else in here a lousy Christian? Thank you. I've just got five of us in here. The rest of you, y'all graduated with your doctorate in Christianity. Praise God for all of you. Um, you know, I when I felt and Jennifer felt like God was calling me into ministry, I, you know, I was an arrogant, injured athlete, and all I knew was selfishness. And as God just started breaking my heart and, and drawing me to him, because the moment I got a chance to run from church, I ran. And I despised the system of guilt and manipulation. But yet, when I couldn't deny that I felt like God was calling me to leave what I was doing in, in inner ministry, and I, I wasn't wanting to do that. And I remember one night, and all this, we're going to make a life-altering decision and I prayed a prayer, and these aren't the exact words, but this is pretty close to what I prayed. I said, God, I'm not much. I don't have any idea what you're calling me to do or even how to do it. But if you're calling me and you'll have me, I'm in. And just speaking those words and putting that out there, to leave what we knew to head in a different direction was like the craziest, like, what am I doing? I mean, friends would say, what are you doing? You have no business being in ministry. Do you know what you've done? I do know what I've done. And yet that was the Adam side trying to regain control and mastery. And then over the years learning who I am and the truth is, is I'm still not much, but God chose to have me. And that's the same truth that resides within you. None of us are much. I know I probably hurt your feelings, but that's the truth. But God takes us out of the system of Adam, and he puts us into the system of Christ, and then we become a child of God, which means you become everything. Because you don't live by your power and your strength and your and your and your. You live by his and his and his. Now that is kind of a crazy thing and you're like, okay, where do you even begin? I'm, I'm going to give you three verses that were kind of revolutionary. And the first one is not going to be helpful at all, but when you put them all together, you're going to go, oh. These are the words Paul wrote in Colossians 3. Verse 2, he said, set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Now, I don't know about you, but that just kind of makes me mad. Oh, if you just start thinking about all these good things, you'd all have it worked out. And that's not what he's saying, but that's how I took it. I'm like, okay, that's just another rule. That's another thing that I'm supposed to do on my own. That's another thing I'm supposed to conquer. And I'm not good at conquering things on my own, so this is just another line of failure. But if you keep reading, for you die. Set your minds on things above for you die. Oh, what's that? what's that mean? When Jesus Christ died to sin, to overcome sin, what was true of Jesus when we give our life to him becomes true of us. And so he counts Jesus' death as our death. And your life. 
is now hidden with Christ in God. Now you look at that and go, I don't, I don't get it. God included us in Jesus' death on the cross. God included us and all people for all time in the burial and in the resurrection. And what was true of Jesus is now true of us. We aren't anemic little people out there waiting to fail God. We are bold and audacious followers included in the power and the glory of Jesus Christ to live victorious, upright. We have everything we need, 2 Peter 1.3, for life and godliness. We have it all. We have it all. But somehow we've missed this amazing truth that our life is now hidden. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he kind of closes this thought out with these words in Colossians 3, 4. And this is where I want to end this morning. And next week we're going to try to wrap all this up. <coughs> when Christ, who is our life. Now you can read that and go, oh, that's, that's nice. Or you can read that and go, oh my goodness. God looks at me as he looks at Jesus. God sees me from the standpoint of Jesus. God doesn't see me as the guy or the woman or the little girl that keeps failing him. He sees me as the one who is victoriously coming out of the grave and now has the power to not let sin be our master. Listen, here's the truth of the Christian life. There's only one person who can live the Christian life. His name is Jesus. Trying to live up to a standard, trying to be good enough, to know enough, and to do enough is the system of Adam. It's a system of failure. And we keep defaulting back to it, and we keep ending up in the same place we've always been, hopeless and helpless. We're always going to come up short in the system of Adam. Paul is making a claim. Paul is making an offer that if we would allow Christ to live his life through us and in us and for us, we would find a new way and a new motivation. Because, see, here's the truth, is that when you're in Christ, you are no longer the person that you used to be. And so why would you live like you used to live? He offers us a brand new life. He says that all things old are gone. They've passed away, and the new has come. But most of us don't feel like we're living a new life. We feel like we're in Groundhog Day, facing the same things day in and day out. Why? Because we keep allowing and letting sin be our master. And the reality is, is I can't, but he can. I can't, but he did. I can't, but he has. I can't, but he will. Sin is not my master. And part of this is, is you know what? I'm not going to let sin take from me what Christ has given to me. And so we offer our hands to God. God, how do you want to use these hands for your glory and not for my sin? How do you want to use this mouth for something better than tearing people apart? 
And listen, I have the gift of being a smart aleck. It may be my only spiritual gift. But how do I let God turn that and use that for his glory? Well, i got to offer it to him. What about this mind that is full of crazy ideas? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm like the, the person cooking spaghetti noodles. I throw a lot of things against the wall waiting to see which one sticks and go, oh, that's a good idea. Let's go that way. But how do I turn that over to God and say, God, what do you want to do with this? What, what, what creative things do you want to put that are for your glory and not for my destruction? God, these feet, where, 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 do, you, where do you want to take these feet for, for your good, for your good news? And those are decisions we all have to make every day. Because every day there's going to be something meet you when you roll out of bed, if not before. And it's going to want to take mastery, and it's going to want to be one in charge saying, hey, today, today. You know that frustration that's built up all week? Your little kid's going to come in, and you're already frustrated, and it's, it's, it's high time they learn that they don't mess with you because you're an adult. You just unload everything that you've got. Even though it's not them that you're mad at, you just go ahead and let that kid have it. They'll be okay. And then right after that little encounter happens, you want to pull a rock over you and hide because you're like, do you do that? Hey, you know that person that you ought not go near her desk at work, but you just keep finding yourself because she kind of makes you feel good and she, she gives you a little bounce in your step and you've, you're like, hey, I want to go by that. I'm just telling you, you need to stay away from her. But yet, sin says, listen, you've got a hard day at work coming. You, you've had a hard week. That person, they, they put a little joy in you. They, they make you feel alive again. You before you go into the drudgery of your day-to-day, you might as well go get a little, go get a little jolt from the wrong person. Got to make a decision. Am I going to let, am I going to allow myself to keep living in the system of Adam, which is going to lead to death? Or am I going to turn myself over to God and say, you know what, God? I'm prone to a bad choice here, but I know by the power of your spirit, you can lead me another way around that office. You can lead me another way around that wherever. So we have to make some choices. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. You tracking? And we want to argue, listen to me, God. I know you think you're all that and that I'm horrible, but I can do things on my own. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty good. And we start building a case of how we can bear fruit. And that arrogance leads us to go our own way. Not only do we not bear fruit, we initiate death not only in our life, but in the lives of the people closest to us. We initiate it. Why? Because I handed mastery to something that's not my master. And why Jesus died was to break the hold of sin. And set us free. And so if you hear chains dragging around behind you spiritually, it's because you reinitiated with the chains of death. Because he broke them on the cross. And so his word is in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ. And we have changed that to in me, by me, through me. Which, by the way, 
I don't know about your life, but it never turns out real good with me. Now, once again, I recognize you're smarter than I am. But there's a reason Paul said the good I want to do is not what I end up doing because it's sin living in me. And we read that in Romans 7, but he gives us the answer in Romans 6 because he's, he's speaking this and somebody else, he's dictating it and somebody else is writing all this down. And, and, and it's kind of confusing, but if you, you just back up and go, okay, I can keep living that life or I can, I can come back here to where he said that I have the power because of Christ living in me to not do what I've always done. Let's pray this morning. Father, <coughs> we are so confused by our actions as opposed to our intent. And yet, Lord, you not only had intent to set us free, you put in motion that very thing happening. And Lord, the freedom that you have given us Lord, for some reason, we keep stepping back into a system of life where something that wants to destroy us controls us. So, Lord, I, I pray that you, God, let your truth resonate within us. Lord, go down to the very depth of us. But, Lord, we don't have to keep living in the system of death because you set us free from it. And so, Lord, today as we go to communion, God, as we go and take the bread and the cup, that is a reminder that what you did at the cross has been done for all, for all time. That, Lord, truly letting your truth and your goodness resonate within us, Lord, being reminded that sin is not our master. And, Lord, maybe today just looking at the bread and the cup, that needs to be our prayer and our declaration, God, sin is not my master. Lord, maybe there's some here that, God, they've never said, Lord, I want you to be my master. I want your death to cover me. I want your life to cover me. And Lord, maybe today's the day. They, they simply just, by faith, say, Lord, save me. And Lord, they're taken out of the system of Adam, and they're placed into the system of Christ. Lord, however you choose to work, Lord, we're open to. God, we just seek you. And Lord, may our, our time of communion this morning and then worship, God, draw us deeper into you so that we're reminded that sin is not our master. In the name of Jesus, amen.